0: Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, episode number 64. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy. Today on the show, it is great to welcome back Matt Burton. He is the CEO of Orchard and someone who is really at the center of this industry. And I wanted to get him on the show right away. He was gracious enough to do this at very short notice because I'm recording this just a day and a half after the news broke of Renaud Laplanche, as the CEO of Lending Club, his uh, departure from Lending Club, improprieties there that um, – you know, have been reported on extensively. So I wanted to get Matt on just to sort of give everybody some perspective of what he is seeing. He looks at both sides of the business, the investor side and the and the platform side. So wanted to get him. So we delve into uh, you know, what he has been hearing in the last thirty six hours, and we also uh, we also talk about other things that happened, the, the other news of the last week. We touch on. We talk about the Treasury white paper that just came out today, and And we talk about Orchard, of course, and what's on tap for those guys. So I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the podcast, Matt. Thanks for having me, Peter. Okay, so we're recording this uh, less than 36 hours after the bombshell that was dropped uh, from uh, Lending Club uh, first thing Monday morning. So we've had a little bit of time, not a lot, but we've had a little bit of time to really digest this news so, I wanted to start off really dealing with this head- on. So what just give us your take on the news uh, out of Lending Club?
1: Yeah, I mean, I woke up to you know a series of text messages and voicemails uh, yesterday morning with people kind of anticipating big news. And I think when we finally heard uh, that it was uh, Renault resigning, I was in shock like many of the other people in the industry. and you know, I think I spent kind of most of yesterday and today uh, trying to catch up with, you know, uh, industry participants and as well as the press, just to kind of figure out kind of you know what happened and uh, you know where do we go from here? Seems to be a, a pretty common thread that uh, is kind of percolating through the ecosystem.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you've got a fairly unique position here in the industry, talking with both. Investors and platforms. So, what are what are what are those conversations been like? Um, let's just start with the investors first. How has there been has there been kind of any overreaction, or what are what are the conversations been like with investors?
1: I've actually been really impressed with the majority of the investors who, who we work closely with for not kind of overreacting, you know, based on headlines. I um, mean, most kind of want to see more information and you know, want to talk directly with Lending Club to get uh, more of the facts. But nobody, you know, paused buying on our platform. Nobody is is kind of, you know, taking drastic action uh, as a result of this, which, you know, I think is a really good sign for the industry. And, you know, I expect that, uh, you know, the capital acquisition process, you know, will probably take a little bit longer than it used to. As investors are careful, but I, I don't think that there's going to be a massive pullback. You know, the the guys who uh, are on the verge of signing loan purchase agreements. You know, we we heard yesterday afternoon a couple of them say that they're still planning on going forward with with the existing agreement, and so. You know, I think it might have slowed momentum a little bit, but it probably didn't change long term trajectory for well that's that
0: that is that is great to hear because I, I know you you talked about on on Bloomberg earlier today and you were you were you were relatively upbeat and i, I presume the reason you're relatively upbeat is what you said is that, is that so the investors that you speak with are not changing anything as of right now. That that is quite quite amazing to me, and it shows, obviously, a, a lot of confidence in the industry broadly. I mean, is there so as far as conversations go with platforms? Is there you know, how how has that been over the last uh, thirty six hours?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you know the first reaction I think most people had was just shock, and then kind of the, the realization of like, wow, this has been a really rough seven days Mm -hmm. of news in the industry between, uh, you know, Prosper, you know, kind of right sizing their business for the current conditions and, you know, the on deck earnings and shifting more of their loan volumes, the balance sheet, you know, which the, which Wall Street, you know, is that they didn't have demand for their loans in the marketplace is a negative uh, sign, which, you know, I think uh, is, is not completely true, but, uh, and then, you know, even Square, you know, got kind of hammered uh, when they came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just been, uh, it's been tough. But, you know, overall, I think that it's it's been an overreaction. You know, you look at a lot of, it's the more that you dig into these results, and uh, the more that you talk with the platforms, they feel really good about their long-term prospects and the businesses they're building. And I don't think the business models are a question here. Right. Uh, you know, I think right. that there was a... Uh, you know, uh, a, a speed bump we hit uh, in terms of the capital acquisition in February and March. This was not limited to just our space, but, you know, across the credit spectrum. And, you know, this is the first time that our space has really hit something like that. And so, uh, of course, it was challenging, but, you know, the long-term prospects of the industry are going to depend on how we react to these types of situations uh, and how we make sure that we build in, you know, the proper... You know procedures in place to make sure it doesn't happen to us again, and that we're not surprised by it.
0: Right, right. You now I heard, I saw um, you know I saw a comment. I think it was from David Klein at Common Bond saying you know, you know Renault um, has left the industry, but the fundamentals have not left with him. The fundamentals are, 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 of the industry are still are still the same, and you know it, it feels like. That's the, the press obviously love they, they love a juicy story like this, and um, you know they've been, there's been has been hundreds and hundreds of articles written in the last thirty six hours and you know it's 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 good to see that you know that there's certainly there is some you know that there's certainly some people at least are talking common sense and it sounds like that's what some of your, the people you're talking with so so where do you do you, do you, when we are looking back here in, you know, 6 or 12 months time, do you think we're going to see this as like a speed bump and a, you know, a rough the start of a pretty rough stretch or not even the start cuz we've had a we've had some challenges in the last couple of months as you just mentioned, but uh, or do you think this is going to be there's going to be a fundamental shift in the industry or how do you how do you feel like it's going to impact us
1: going forward? Yeah, I mean, I I think one is we're very focused on what's going on in the U.S. on this conversation, and it's obviously a super important market, but in my conversation uh, with platforms internationally, I don't think that they're going through this market turbulence like we are, so that's always kind of good to remember as we're going to look back upon this event, uh, because most of the concern is related specifically to the consumer unsecured space. In terms of kind of where we are, in kind of what I would call the press cycle, you know, you know as well as uh, as I do, when this space started growing and starting to get covered, there was no one talking about it in 2011 right. or even 2012. And the press was just completely ignoring the space. And then it kind of, there was this discovery phase where they wrote a lot of articles about discovering it. And then, you know, I think that the space got, you know, a lot of hype. And now, you know, after the hype phase, the press is always looking for the teardown phase. And so I think that's what we're going through right now. And, you know, I think what comes next and whatever it is, six or nine or 12 months will be the rediscovery phase, you know. Uh, and so we'll just have to kind of work our way through this press cycle and continue to let the numbers speak for themselves, you know, build profitable businesses that, that you know, grow and, you know, impact both consumers, small businesses, and investors in the right way, and and I think we'll we'll be fine. It doesn't feel good when you're kind of in the eye of the storm, <laughs> right?
0: Right. So in some ways, what you're saying is this may really be uh, the beginning of the next phase. Like the hype is all gone. I mean, even I mean at LendIt last month, there was the, the hype was pretty much gone anyway. There was, um, you yeah, know, we've all we've we all know about the the challenges that some platforms have had and invest with investors pulling back you know but it sounds like this may really be the the, the next phase of the industry and uh you know I tend to agree with you there I think we're going to have you know is so that the fundamentals are, are have are unchanged you know the, the the challenge may be is that the companies like lending club it's it's going to take a while for them to regain trust um, with investors so, do you see? Do you think you're going to see capital maybe moving away from Lending Club and into Prosper or Avant or Marlette? or What are your thoughts on on where investor capital might uh, might go? Just in the short term, like the next like you know, three to six months.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to tell today where that's going to be. I mean, I, I, I do believe that capital will flow to the platform that have created the highest amount of trust. You know the Best, you know, best-in-class systems, data transparency is huge for investors right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in my belief, and it came up in the in the Treasury white paper, is we need, you know, secondary markets in this space. Um, and so I think the capital will also flow to to platforms and embrace secondary markets once those get live. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yes, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, it's going to be an interesting next six months on the capital acquisition side and, you know, from, from my standpoint, almost every single platform is, is hyper-focused on capital acquisition, so we'll, we'll see which ones you know, do the best job.
0: Right, right. I, I want to talk about secondary markets in a little bit, but I want to just expand on that next point. Like you say, which ones will do the best job? So you know, clearly, if you're trying to raise equity capital right now, and I know you guys did a raise you know, late last year, but uh, this must be a terribly difficult time to be raising equity capital. I mean, do you see – do you think you, we will see many companies go under in the next six months?
1: I personally don't think we're going to see a lot of companies go under. You know, I think if you're looking uh, on the originator side, you know, companies are, let's say you're originating $50 million a month and you're break even or, or losing a little money. Uh, my guess is that almost all of these platforms could cut their volumes by a third or half, take out the less profitable portion of their uh, origination. Uh, and become cash flow positive, you know you probably have to go through some some uh, resizing of the company's side you know structure uh, in the process, but I think that a lot of them have the path to getting cash flow positive if they wanted to make that happen mm-hmm. now, what does that come it comes at the cost of growth though and and it, equity investors have been prized you know growth over everything has been kind of uh, the mantra right. uh, for the past eighteen months when it comes to these equity investors and so I think that those days are done. The difficulty in raising new equity today is, unless you have a forcing function, unless you have a reason for investors to act now, they're going to kick the can down the road and right. try not to make a decision. And that you know, you know, what what used to take three months to raise a new equity round could easily be six or nine or twelve, mm-hmm. and that's just—it's uh, a very difficult thing for entrepreneurs to be in that situation because you want certainty around your funding uh, because it's very hard to plan and you're not sure when your next equity round is going to
0: be. Right, right. Very good point very good point well anyway I, I do want to move on from the Lending club uh, saga and uh, talk about a few other things because we had it has been a busy news week in uh, for the past week you know we started off um, we had the on deck earnings uh, first which disappointed many people and their their stock was 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 down dramatically not quite as dramatic as what Lending club uh, went through but certainly it uh, it, it declined uh, a lot and I wanted to get your perspective on on-decks, you know, first-quarter earnings. Do you do you think they were punished a bit too harshly? What's your take?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, one, what you're seeing is that the equity markets react to the fact that, you know, because capital is more scarce in this space, they're expecting growth rates to slow. And if you look towards a lot of the forward guidance that was given, it kind of lines up with that. So that's kind of one piece to it. The other piece was, you know, I think they were punished – uh, or at least in the news for having a shift from funding their loans via their marketplace to funding them off their balance sheet, and this speaks to a core problem that I feel like a lot of these companies have today: in that it's not clear what metrics equity investors should use in order to value these companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, in the you know, there's less and less equity analysts out there. And if your business is fundamentally hard to value, and it's a newer business model, in OnDeck's case, it's a hybrid model, uh, it's just kind of an uphill battle. Uh, And so you you see these times where it's kind of like, you know, anything doesn't go perfect, and, and there's just kind of like, you know, a lot of panic that goes on. So I think as an industry, we really need to figure out, you know, how are these platforms going to be measured? Because, you know, multiples off revenue, you know, clearly doesn't make sense. You know, I think on the other extreme, book revenue doesn't make sense, that uh, we've got to figure out a way that an equity analyst can do kind of an apples-to-apples comparison of a couple different platforms and be able to understand which which one's doing a good job,
0: right? Because uh, to, to each other. Yeah, that's a good point because you know we're not listening to the on-deck earnings call, and it feels like you you know with a marketplace, if, if if you're selling loans on the marketplace, you recognize the revenue right away and if you're selling uh, on the balance sheet you recognize the expenses right away as far as you've got to, you've got to kind of expense all the provisions for losses up front so it's a huge difference in in the in earnings when you're recognizing you know what might be a one or two year loan you're recognizing all the revenue up front or you are recognizing all the expenses up front and that's so like I, it feels like this is going to be the challenge you know they want the flexibility of moving from a marketplace onto a balance sheet or, and back again, but it's just going to make such, you know, their, their earnings are going to be affected so much. So, as you say, it looks like that people haven't worked out what, how to, how to do this. I mean, what, what are your thoughts? Do you think they should be, how do you think they should be valued?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a tough question because, you know, these are brand new businesses that have, you know, I think today the hybrid model has a lot of, attraction and you see a lot of newer originators go that direction mm-hmm. uh, because it allows you to fund your business in a lot of different economic environments. But the downside of that is, to what our exact discussion is, is it's harder for you to explain uh, the intrinsic value of your company to an investor. Now, in my view, is, is that the easiest way you know to explain the value is to become profitable. Right. If they just start making money. <laughs> It just, then it, everything gets easier. Right. Like, then we can argue over the details, but I, I really think that that's, you know, if these companies just could could get as profitable as quickly as possible, you know, a lot of the, the short sellers would be pushed out of the space.
0: Right, right. That makes sense. So let's, let's move on to Prosper. Uh, it feels like three months ago that they announced uh, – announced their round of layoffs given it was only it was only seven days ago so as we're recording this anyway so what are what are your thoughts on on the news out of prosper and obviously it's uh, you know given the lending club news it's it's it seems like uh, um, you know not that big a deal at all obviously it's a big deal for those people who lost their jobs but um, wanted just to get your reaction on prosper
1: yeah I mean I, I think that uh you know, last year, take Lindit, for example, you know, there was a ton of announcements by a lot of platforms. So oh, I'm going to do this product line and then that product line and then serve, you know, all of these different uh, populations. Uh, and I think that you realize that that's a really hard thing to do. Uh, and when times are good, though, you know, you have, you know, equity investors who are supportive of all of that and you have big growth targets. So you want to kind of stretch your core competency. Uh, And I think, you know, what what Prosper realized was uh, that they had kind of stretched themselves too thin a little bit. Uh, And in the current environment, it didn't make sense for them to be trying to do multiple products at once. So, you know, they decided to cut back and go to their core, which, you know, I think was the right decision. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, you can, you know, hindsight is 2020, you could argue, oh, you shouldn't have expanded last year, or you expanded too fast. But, you know, it's really tough when you're in the moment and you're dealing with a lot of different constituencies that you're trying to please, both internal and your board and, uh, you know, potentially going to IPO, you know, that mistakes can be made. Uh, But I think that they did a good job of hopefully dealing with it all in one shot, and it's not going to – I mean, the worst I've seen for startups is where they have, like, a trickle-off layoff where, like, over the course of a year, there's, like, nine different layoffs um, and that's just the painful way. Hopefully, you know they
0: just took their medicine all at once and it came down for it from here. Right, right. Sure. Let's 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 hope that is that is the case. So now I'm switching gears to the treasury, they they just you know just a few hours ago released their uh, report. You know they did their request for information last summer, and you know we now have uh, the fruits of that. Uh, of that labor, I guess we would say. So did anything stick out for you in the, in the report today from the Treasury?
1: You know, I was actually really pleased when I saw it the first time. I think that a, a lot of the recommendations, you know, were mentioned by, you know, companies in the RFI. You know, obviously the, the devil's in the details on a lot of these things, but just kind of reading through, you know, the common themes, And then, you know, their recommendations, I I thought that made sense, right? I don't think that, you know, any of the industry participants would, you know, disagree in a large way with a lot of them. But I mean, the common themes were, you know, making sure that, you know, transparency was at the core, you know, that that you have sound operations and credit models, that, you know, borrower enhancements and safeguards needed to be improved over time, you know, setting a high bar. You know, and, and obviously, you know, the secondary market piece is something that's dear, dear to me. Yes. Uh, I, was, I was glad that that got mentioned. And then, you know, I think it was important that they said that, you know, regulatory clarity can benefit the market. You know, the people actually in this space want to know, you know, how to uh, build businesses in, in a you know, way that the regulators will, will view as, as being best in class.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think, and, you know, one of the things, the things they talk about is, you know, the, the regulatory clara- clarity will benefit the market. And I think that's something that is not, we're not going to be clear on for some time. Um, but I think this is certainly, I think all of the regulators can, can look at this and, you know, it sounds like, and I haven't read the whole thing yet, you know, given that it's like, you know, 40, 50 pages long and, uh, it came out a few hours ago. But it's clear that, um, there's, there's, doesn't look like to me to be any really bad news for the industry in this at all, as far as I can see. And that's, and that's, uh, that's what was a worry. And I think that's, it seems like a good, a good resource for regulators as they're considering any changes that may come. Speaking of which, do you like – I mean, I know like there seems to be a lot of activity these last few months on the regulatory front. Anything anything you're hearing out out of Washington, D.C. that uh, that you can share?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, at Orchard, we we filed for our broker-dealer, so we've had our own uh, list of stuff that we've been busy with in the SEC. So that's kind of been a focus of ours, uh, but, but overall, I mean, you know, we, the Treasury used some of our data for their white paper, and we've seen kind of an interest in a lot of the different governmental organizations just to get education on our industry. I would say education and uh, data are the two things that they're looking for the most. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have seen kind of an uptick on that side. Um, but overall, it's been pretty quiet. I mean, it's this is an interesting time for D.C. It's a presidential year. They got a lot going on, you know. We haven't been in the spotlight yet, right. um, and hopefully, we, we won't be. But uh, I, I'm, I'm glad this, this white paper came out. I agree; it can be a good guide for for other regulators to understand the space. Uh, and hopefully, uh, you know, we find a way to continue to uh, work together as an industry to to build relationships that, that go deep with regulators.
0: Yep. Yeah, for sure. So I I want to talk about Orchard at least for some of this, uh, some of the show here. I know we, there's been a lot going on, but firstly, why don't you just give us a give us an update? I mean, obviously, you know, you I think when we chatted um, back in February, you'd you'd just seen in the previous like couple of weeks things had really shifted on the on the investor side of the business. So why don't you just give us an update on what's going on at Orchard, how you've how you've been affected over the last, you yeah, know, two, three months?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, the the disruptions within the credit market uh, in February uh, led to a, a lot of the people who, you know, were kind of working their way down our funnel on the institutional investor side to, you know, take a look at the high yield market uh, or other spaces. And so uh, I don't think those investors are necessarily gone, but, you know, they're relatively relative value investors. So, You know, they had other places to kind of look for a little while. Um, So we did see kind of a slowdown in uh, activity moving through our funnel on the institutional investor side in Q1. Interestingly enough, there's a a lot of new investors who have come into the space who, you know, are more kind of distressed investors. They kind of move in when, you know, the headlines turn negative. Um, (laughs) So over the past three weeks, it's been interesting to watch them come in
0: But most of actually the activity
1: at Orchard uh, over Q1 has been on on the originator side as we have signed up, you know, a number of partners uh, and have gone through kind of our onboarding process where we, uh, you know, help standardize, normalize, and bring up the quality of the data to an institutional grade uh, to get these platforms ready to start working with multiple institutional investors. so. We've been super busy. I mean, we had 16 integrations going on in Q1. Wow. uh, Does that that mean 16
0: different platforms or is that?
1: Yeah, 16 different data sets. sets. That we were normalizing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Platforms, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's across Merchant Cash Advance, Small Business Term, and Consumer Unsecured uh, have been. And then, you know, obviously the next step for us is students and auto. Are the ones that we're getting asked, mm-hmm. um, and kind of uh, that we're seeing. Um, but overall, everybody's taking capital acquisition more serious, and so you know, we've seen you know a lot of interest in our product line on the originator side to, to help them uh, institutionalize themselves uh, to a greater degree.
0: Right, right. So then, let's just talk a little bit. You mentioned you've you're you're applying for your broker dealer license. You know, you've talked about secondary markets. I mean, we, I think we we chatted. You know, I think it was back in 2014, and you'd hope to have secondary market in place uh, within 12 months. Obviously, that didn't happen. Where are you at today? Is this is this something that you want to? Do yourself or what? Or firstly, why why are you getting a broker dealer license, and it doesn't have anything to do with the secondary market?
1: Yeah, so uh, the joke uh, in my product and engineering teams is we've already built secondary markets twice. <laughs> uh, this is going to be the third the third time that we build it.
0: Third time's a charm. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, what's interesting? I mean, it's it's just to go back to the Treasury white paper. I mean, the regulatory uncertainty has been at the heart of, of this problem um, in which, you know, multiple times we've gotten close to, to coming out and launching them, but haven't been able to get the reassurances um, from participants and from regulators that we know that we're in, in good standing. And given our expectation that this is going to be an important you know, cornerstone of the industry, you know, we want to do it the right way. And I don't want to, what happened to Lending Club and Prosper to happen to me where we spend a ton of time and energy, you know, building it only to find out later that we get shut down. And so, you know, we ended up uh, going through the whole process again through last fall. And, you know, finally just said, look, you know, I don't think we're ever going to get the exact certainty that that we need, we better just get our broker dealer and, you know, take the, the stance that we expect that the SEC is going to regulate this space, that it is a security if they're, you know, pools of loans and then just build a business with, with that standard in mind. And so that's, that's how we've decided to, to move forward.
0: Right. So, so you have, you have willing participants on both sides on the investor side and on the platform side, as far as participants in a secondary market.
1: Yeah. So on the, on the platform side, you know, we had, willing participants last year as well right the what's been interesting in, in q1 is, is you know we've seen a number of institutional investors come to us and say hey you know I'm looking to sell a portion of my portfolio or I want to double down and, and focus on my buying on one of the consumer platforms versus buying on three so there's definitely the demand right now on the investor side as well that we're seeing uh, but it's, it's one of the things that until we get our broker dealer, you know, we're not going to feel comfortable having those transactions
0: flow through us. Right, right, sure. So, do you think there's also demand from institutional investors for, you know, for aged portfolios that they to, to buy outside of the securitization markets? Is that do you do you see that as a possibility as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, I personally think there's demand there. I haven't, you know, it hasn't been told directly to me recently. You know, we're we're going on a roadshow next month to just go talk to a, a wide variety uh, of both platforms and institutional investors, both in this space, but also uh, participants that we think would be good to bring into the fold. Uh, and so I think I'll, I'll probably know the answer to that question better uh, by the second week in June.
0: Right, right. Okay. So um, before I let you go, just what else is uh, is happening at Orchard? I hear you're about to move into new offices. I mean, what uh, what else are you working on?
1: yeah so for anyone who's been to our offices it is uh, super cramped at the moment uh, and I feel really bad about it uh, but at the same time signing leases in New York City is a uh, not an easy process so yeah so it looks like we're gonna be moving into new offices in July not just getting the final details done on the lease and it will be uh, you know exciting next step for the company is you know, we've been in five offices in the past two and a half years <laughs> um, it looks it looks like we'll be able to stay at this one, you know, hopefully for for over two years. But, uh, but we'll see. It's uh, the nature of the, uh, the beast when you're when you're building startups. It's, it's tough to to have the right amount of real estate because you, you tend to outgrow quickly. Yeah, yeah, right.
0: Okay. Well, it's always a pleasure chatting with you, Matt. I I really appreciate your your time today.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Peter.
0: Okay. See you later. I hope that has provided everybody with uh, a bit of perspective. On the current events, it's easy to get wrapped up in doom and gloom and the skies falling when you're following the articles in the press. But Matt has certainly shed some light on the fact that there's, it's business as usual for a lot of people in this industry. Now, having said that, this doesn't mean that there won't be uh, an impact, uh, even a potential dramatic impact on some participants. And we obviously don't know what the the fallout's going to be at Lending Club. But the reality is this industry is strong, It the fundamentals are unchanged, and uh, I expect, as does Matt, that we'll be around for a long, long time. On that note, I'll sign off. I very much appreciate you listening, and I will catch you next time. Bye.